All right, come on in. We're going to go ahead and get started with our class tonight. We, um, if you remember, we got yeah, almost halfway through Romans 5. We're not going to do, we're going to finish Romans 5. We're not going to do, go into Romans 6 tonight. I want to get back into trying to get a chapter done tonight if possible. Um, so we're just going to finish Romans 5 and do a little recap to kind of see where we're at after five chapters. And then we'll start Romans 6 next week. Um, with that being said, is there any uh, prayer requests or anything like that anybody wants to mention right now that we should be praying about? My friend, I mean niece, niece-in-law, niece, my whatever, niece my, my niece. nephew passed away on Mother's Day. Oh. Can I know his name? Roger. Yeah, that's pretty tough. Go ahead, Gary. Carol is on my phone. Okay. You Okay. Anybody else? Well, I guess we, we probably should pray for Grant, huh? Grant's getting ready to start his new life after college and kind of still in college, right? You're continuing education and working, right? Went for the army again, and then in the fall, I moved to Tuscaloosa for PhD in math. Roll tide. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I already knew that now. Cool. <laughs> Can we just keep it biblical in here, please? Can we keep it biblical? <laughs> Excellent. Anybody else? No? All right, let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We're just grateful for this time where we could study and just um, think about your word. We're looking at the book of Romans, God, and there's so much good stuff in it. It's easy to, it's easy to find something that's inspiring. It's easy to find something that's um, challenging to your mind and your heart, Father. It's just such a good letter. It's such a good book of the Bible, God. We just are grateful for it, Lord, and we're grateful for the encouragement that we find in it. I just pray tonight as we study it that we uh, are brave. We, we speak what we see, Lord, and that you guide our conversation and uh, help us to sharpen one another and, and grow in your word together. Father, right now we are thinking about Roger, Roger's family, um, Lord, it's, we don't always understand why, especially, especially not when. Um, we're going through it ourselves. Lord, but we know you're in control. We know you have a plan. God, and we just pray that Roger is with you. Father, we pray for his family as they mourn his, his loss, Father, that um, you comfort them in only a way that you can, Lord, and that the, the church that might be around that family is surrounding them and comforting them as well as the church is supposed to. We celebrate with each other and we mourn with each other because we're family, God. So we just pray for the, the relatives of Wanda Thornton and just the the loss that they're dealing with, just again, Father, give them comfort. Along those same lines, Lord, we, we're, we're all 
um, sad, mourning the loss of Nancy Page. God, she meant so much to this church and was an amazing servant and, and Bible class teacher, woman of God. Father, her example spread to many of us. Lord, I, uh, I just remember so much the joy that she had. Um, her great laugh. Um, the good things she always had to say to me about Scripture. Father, we were blessed to have her at this church and we were blessed to have her in our lives, Father. And we just pray for, the, for Dawn. We pray for Mike and Carol as they mourn her, her loss, but also celebrate. God, and I don't want to lose that fact that you know, death, death has lost its sting. For those who believe, death has, death has been overcome. And even though we're sad because the time here is done, Lord, we know she lives on and, and we'll see her again in eternity. And for that, we thank you and we're comforted by that hope. Father, I also want to pray for Grant. Lord, he's a very, I would say kid, but he's not a kid anymore. He's a very special young man to me. I can still remember when he was, I don't even know his age, he was barely old enough to look over the table. But he wanted to come up and study the word of God with me and his dad. He's always had that heart for the Lord. God, and we're super proud of him and the man that he's become, the leader of the church that he's become, already teaching lessons and using the, the great gifts that you've given him to prove the Bible, to, to really break down the Bible in a unique way as well. Father, I'm, I know I don't speak just for myself, but we expect you to continue to do big things through him and Continue to grow that love in him and that grace and that mercy in him. Father, so he can continue to be a light for your kingdom in a dark world. And Father, we pray for his family because saying bye for college is a little different than when, when we finally really set off to become our own person. So Father, comfort the family as well in, in that time and... and um, Lord, help Grant to never forget that he's always, he always has a home here. He's always got a great family that loves him right here. And uh, he's never alone. And if he ever feels lonely, he can always call us. And we'll pick up the phone and we'll talk. God, we thank you so much for North Brevard, for the family that it is, for what it means to all of us, for the love that we share, the life that we share, the, the real relationship that we have, God. We... It makes life better. It makes life more worth living. It, it gives us comfort, encouragement, and we share love. Not just the love of Christ, but the real love that we have for each other. So God, we're grateful for this family. We're grateful for this time that we could come together and just study your word. And we just pray blessings on this time that you oversee it and that you keep us on task. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. All right, so we were in the book of Romans, chapter 5. We got through a little bit. I'm going to read it real quick. I just don't like to start in the middle of the chapter without at least reading it first. Um, that's just my pet peeve. Maybe, maybe it doesn't bother you as much, but I like to see it all. At least we're already breaking it up in chapter. We might as well see the chapter in context. So therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And again, I want to say this real quick because we're going to recap this a little bit at the end, but just remember that in our victories and in our suffering, it, we, it, both scenarios start with rejoicing, not allowing our circumstances to steal our joy because suffering ultimately will produce endurance and endurance character and character will increase your hope. As you see God working in your life and changing you, your hope will grow in his promises as well. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us accomplish all of that. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So I've read the first 10 verses. If anybody wants to say anything real quick, just a recap or anything that they were um, maybe even thinking of from our last discussion that they wanted to bring up before we kind of move on, now is that opportunity. No? Good. All right, this is getting into, we actually read a few more of these verses, but this is getting into kind of the... Uh, where we're going tonight. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God. That which separated us has been reconciled to God. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. This is where we ended last week. So again, we're getting into this idea that there was reconciliation, that that reconciliation had to come because what separated us from God was what? It was our sin. And who had sin? Everyone. Everyone had sin. So there had to be a reconciliation. There had to be a way to fix the problem. That sin started with? Paul, tell him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Adam 
is the reason he is identified as the real sinner here is because he stood by and watched sin taking place and didn't try to change it. He didn't change it. He had the perfect opportunity to say, no, we're not going there. But he didn't do that. Instead, he watched. And then he used that excuse to yeah. try and get out of it. Yeah. Just like we all do. Sure. We look for someone to blame and to be the excuse. Well, I had to go along. I mean, after all, yeah. you made her for me. And then this is what happened. Yeah, that, I mean, I know last week you were starting to say something and I kind of used it. So I wanted to give you an opportunity. I did want to give you an opportunity. Mike, did you want to say something? Yeah, it looks like that you two are going to get stoned after service. Well, that's what happened. Many, Mike, many men have been, and women for that matter, have been stoned for just preaching the truth. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. We discussed that a little bit as well. Um, I gave you some of my weird brain, but we also discussed the fact that there was sinning. There was law in the garden. There was only one. But until Moses, there was no law from Adam to Moses. So there was sin, even though there was no law. Um, <clears throat> and then Adam being a type of the one who was to come, obviously he's getting into that one who is to come right here. Verse 15, this is where we're at starting tonight. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Don't just rush through that verse because everybody in here already knows that truth. Don't forget that the many are even people you don't like. Even people you don't agree with. Even people that's culture is not like yours. The many, that grace that abounded for many was to how many nations? All nations. And again, I want to point this out because I think this is super important. And this is the big, big, big change that the world did not see coming through Jesus Christ. And this is probably the reason why Paul talks about it so much is because he was that missionary that went in. He really went all over the place. He experienced much of the culture of the world, at least in his present time. And the one thing that is very different from everything that's ever been taught up to this time in history is really he takes down this idea of segregation for any reason. For any reason. It's all nations. Children of God from every spot on the planet. Children of God reside in every country in the world. And I want to say that because I, I, I want us to think about that in times of peace, but I also want us to think about that even in times of war. You know, I, I debate on whether I was going to say this, but I, like I have to be honest as a, I have to be honest with you guys, especially as a speaker of the Word of God. I have to be honest. 
And you know, it feels like when, let's just take the, con and you could take any conflict in your life, but let's just take the conflict that we're dealing with right now in Ukraine and Russia. And I remember when all that first started to happen, there was a lot of people that were coming in and we were trying to figure out whose side should we be on? Maybe you're still in that place where you're trying to figure out whose side you should be on in this conflict. And I remember um, I was asked to pray shortly after that um, conflict broke out. And, you know, here's the truth for me. I try not to get caught up on sides. I try to stay focused on the kingdom. And here's what I know, because I know missionaries that are in both countries right now. I know there are Christians in Russia, and I know there are Christians in Ukraine. And nobody is out of harm's way. So, because I don't have all the answers, I can't tell you who's right or wrong, but I know that Christians are on both sides of that argument. And I think when we start to look at that, I know that's, again, I know that's kind of, um, I'm really not trying to get too political with this, which is why I'm kind of down the middle as well, but like looking at the world through that lens can break down walls of segregation that the world has built up to separate us, to divide us. So, that grace that abounded to many is for all men and women of all nations. And it's a free gift. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So what was the free gift? Grace. Define that grace. Okay, it is unmerited favor. That's a good definition of grace, that is. But define it. Define it, not from, not. What is the grace? Go ahead, Sue. God gave us the opportunity to be reconciled to him when we didn't deserve it. Yeah. Through the death of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's the free gift. That is a free gift. In fact, I've went as far as saying in the past, and I know not, maybe not everybody agrees with me on this, and that's okay, but I've went as far as saying in the past that the cross that he died on, it was mine. I'm the one that deserved that. That was what I deserved. Just like Barabbas's cross, you could put Matt Robinson's cross right there the same way. I deserved it. I did nothing to be freed from it. But he took my place. And it was free. He did it how many years before you were born? A few. <laughs> A few. There was nothing I did before he did it that could have ever earned it. There's nothing I've done up to this point in my life that certainly could have earned it. It was free. And it was a gift. And it was for all people. Even people like Barabbas. Go ahead, Paul. Well, it's there to 
show in verse, chapter 2, the first couple of verses. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. You want to say anything else? No? Comment on what he just read. Just because there is a free gift doesn't mean that we can condone us looking lightly at sin. Just go ahead, sin. You know, it'll be taken care of. Uh, that's not what John's driving at. Absolutely. That's not really what Paul's driving at. Yeah, but that's Romans 6. That's Romans 6. We're going to get to that next week. Go ahead. Uh, he was talking about segregation. Yeah. And uh, how God looks at it and everything. I think, you know, God pretty much showed us through Jesus and the Samaritan woman how, how we should look at segregation. Especially uh, when, uh, when she realized uh, uh, pretty much who Jesus was and how things changed. But prior to that, that wall was there at Jacob's well and... Uh, and uh, they realized that uh, uh, that there was a difference, mm -hmm. and that they didn't get along with each other, the groups of people. Mm -hmm. But after talking to Jesus about the living water, uh, and him him sharing with her about her life, uh, things changed. And that that's what I think. I think segregation, even to today. The answer to all the, the world's problems when it comes to that, when it comes to hating somebody because of how they look or where they came from, uh, Jesus is the answer. Absolutely. And there's, there's no other answer but him. That's right. So, through his word, through his life, through his gospel, he gave us the answer a long time ago, long before it was ever even written in the law really anywhere. This concept was foreign in the New Testament. This idea, not just the Gentiles, not just the Greeks and the Romans, we already discussed this in chapter 1, not just the barbarians, right? Not just the wise and the fool. Everybody struggled with this concept because they had lived in a world of segregation their entire life and because based on who they were and what they were and what bloodline they came from, they might have been even entitled to certain things. And this is a breakdown of that. And I, I hope you all see that. We're going to go over that a little bit more again in the recap. But yeah, I, you know, William, I like that you bring up the Samaritan woman. Think of it. Really, he breaks down those borders of segregation that, think, think about this too, that religious people would have thought were appropriate in his life. Don't forget, it was the religious that said to him, hey, you, your teacher, he's over there and he's eating with what? Tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, the unclean. Right? That shook him up right there. And we spent a good chunk of the first part of Romans also discussing that difference that the Jews struggle with because they had these parts of God's law 
that all of a sudden seemed like they didn't matter to the Gentiles. And Gary said it seemed like they went through a whole lot for nothing. Yeah. I'm never going to... That was, that was a moment for me in, in a class right there. It's... <laughs> It, it, the, it, verse 17. <laughs> For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Break that, break that verse down for me. Can you? We got one man's trespass. That, that part's easy, right? Who's the one man? Adam. His trespass. Death reigned through that one man. How did death reign through that one man? Was Adam just a sinful person the rest of his life? Yeah. Physical death. That's right. And we discussed as well, outside of two people, everybody died. Everybody died. So what does it mean that the righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? His impact is greater. You know, Adam's one man, Jesus is also one man, but it's, it, the magnitude of, of grace is way greater than Adam's one sin. Yeah, absolutely. Through one man's sin, sin was taught to the world. Just like we discussed with Chuck, right? The idea of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What you do with it, that's what we all choose. Those are the choices we all make. But we were all born into a world that had the knowledge of good and evil. You know, one of the things you do when you're, in, in, one of the things I did in college, but one of the things you do as a parent um, you know, you, you, you observe the behavior of your children. And there are definitely things where I can look at the behavior of my child and I can say to that child, hey, um, you look just like your mom when you do that. Right? <laughs> Don't get yourself in trouble, Gary. Don't get yourself in trouble. Me, you're going to be, be in the line with me and Paul if you're not careful. You're going to... And then there are times where I can look at my children and I say, you look just like me, or you look like your grandma, or you look like your grandpa. And those are really cool things. But there are also those things where you didn't teach them that. You know they didn't learn that from their mom. You know they didn't learn that from their grandparents. Who taught them? Who taught them? The world. Their own experience as well, right? When a kid gets a toy taken from him and he reaches out and punches the kid that took it from him, they never saw me do that. I might have done it when I was younger, but they didn't see me do that. <laughs> and the truth is, is, we don't have to be taught. Really, we don't have to be taught how to sin. We don't have to be taught how to do wrong. Nobody had to tell Cain that he shouldn't have done what he did to his brother. Do you think? He knew. In fact, what did he say to God that shows he knew? He said, if you banish me, everybody else who finds out what I did, 
essentially they're going to want to kill me too. Because everybody knew it was wrong. To him is sin. That's right. That's right. And that's kind of going back to the no law, but, but again, the impact is greater. So how, let's ask the question, how has the impact been greater? The impact of sin was pretty great, wouldn't you say? Maybe even complete? Paul would say it was complete. It says all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So then how was this reign of life, this reign of righteousness that is brought through Jesus Christ greater? Given. And salvation gives us a life that's way better than we ever had. Yeah. Life more abundant. Life with hope. Life with purpose. Imagine a world, you think the world's bad now, imagine a world where there weren't people who had hope in it. Where there weren't people who had a purpose that was good and godly in it. You think it would be even more degraded than it is now? I think so. But even more than that, how is this sacrifice greater than the sin? Yeah. Through what? Yeah. In whose life? Yeah. By whose sacrifice? Yeah. So, at the end of the day, when Mike sins, did Mike sin because his dad sinned? No, that's, that's what people will try to tell you this is what this scripture means, but that's not what it means at all. Mike sinned because Mike sinned. I'm not picking on Mike. <laughs> right? Matt sinned because Matt sinned, not Mike sinned over here. All right, does that make sense? Not because my dad sinned, but because I made my own choices to sin. But here's the beauty. Your sin is covered because of the choice that Christ made to go to the cross. Your sin is covered, even though it was your choice. You had nothing to do with the choice that covers your sin. That's why that sacrifice is greater than all the sin of all mankind together. That's why love can cover a multitude of sins. One single act of love. One single act of love. Destroyed the entire plan of Satan. Destroyed the power of death and destruction. And gave people hope and life again. Anybody want to say anything else? Yeah, it wasn't a, a temporary solution like under the law with the high priest. Yeah. And Hebrew talks about that. It wasn't something that covered you from year to year. Uh, Christ, which is, a, which is greater, it covers you forever. Yeah. You don't have to do it every year. Yeah. That, that, that curtain has been torn and gives you access to God. Yeah, that's right. Uh, John in 1 John would say that, uh, I think it's chapter 1, he would say it's, it's continually 
It's a continual process. Right? So just like Paul was saying earlier, even though I've been saved, I might still sin. That blood continues to wash away my sin. It's pretty, really, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. It's so much more. The gift is so much more. I want you to see that. So much more than the trespass. And I think sometimes we struggle, Christians in general, come, let me come to you in just a second. We struggle because of the law, just like the Jews struggle with because of the law. And that's what Paul's really been working on for the last five chapters is this struggle where he's saying, look, you thought it was all these rules and regulations that saved you. These rules and regulations, they showed you how terrible you were. That's really what they did. Nobody lived up to it. Right? But God took it into his own hands. Go ahead, Brent. I was just thinking about Noah. In the times of Noah, it said that every, the thoughts of everyone's heart was evil. Yeah. And God decided to destroy them. Yeah. And, and that's just a little bit different than the way we are now. He's, he's long-suffering. He sent Christ. And, and though we still have time to turn to, to Christ. And, yeah. and uh, he, he gave us the sacrifice, of course. And, 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 but uh, it, it was different than in the first time when he said, everyone's evil. They, I'm sorry I made them. Yeah, I wish I never made them. Yeah, what a time to have not lived in. Right? Imagine. You think of the worst atrocities of the world today, the things that, the, the, the terrible side of life, and just imagine that being everywhere you go. Right out front and center. That was the times of Noah. Okay. Go ahead, William. Today, I I was listening to uh, television, and I was telling Brenda, you know, it was a time where regular television that the public looks at, the 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 husband, the wife, the children looks at. There used to be no profanity, mm-hmm. but but now this is me listening to it. They're they're speaking those words like it's part of the English language. I mean, it's part of communication. The world, the world is, is, uh, is something that Christ needed to help us overcome. He was talking about the Russians and Ukraine. Yeah. One of the reasons, and I'm, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but one of the reasons the leader of Russia said they invaded Ukraine is because they are one people. They came from the same group of people. And I said, I couldn't understand why if you want people, you're not going to kill your kinship, a kinsman. You're going you're gonna to talk to them. So th- this world, like Brent said, he was talking about Noah, and it talks about how mankind is sin. But it added something that, and they're coming up with new ways, new imagination of sinning against God. 
So, and that's what's happening today, and we got to say no to that. That's and we got to tell them about Jesus. That's right. That's right. Jesus is the way. Okay, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, how does it lead? How did that one trespass lead to the condemnation of all men? Because all men sinned, and therefore all men faced death. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. One act of righteousness. I, I know you guys are probably thinking in your head, Matt, you have said this point enough. But I'm just telling you it over and over again because Paul thought it was important to bring this up over and over and keep enunciating it all through his writing for really the first five chapters. And I don't think he's going to go away from it for a little while still, if we're being honest. But your justification is in the death of Christ. Your justification is in the death of Christ. Why is that so important? I'll say it one more time as well. So that no one can boast. So that it is guaranteed to all who believe in Jesus Christ. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So you're righteous through your obedience. Is that what you just read? Are you righteous through your obedience? What are you righteous through? Yeah, through the obedience of Jesus Christ. That is really what you're righteous through. And what, what, how is my faith credited to me as righteousness? Because of my belief in Jesus. My righteous acts are only righteous because of my belief in Jesus. And we've discussed that as well. Verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Whoa. Y'all going to have to break that one down for me. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Somebody want to explain that? Oh, I go ahead, Mike. Yeah, before God gave the law, we were on our own deciding right and wrong. When God gave the law, you had a definite standard by which to live or not. Yeah. So there were ways people hadn't even thought about sinning that the law exposed. There were ways, now I'm not saying every single person, but each person in your own life. I'm sure when you first picked up the Bible and started reading it, there were ways you were living wrong you didn't even know were wrong. You didn't even know they were wrong because that was the way of the world. And so the more we knew about right and wrong, the more we realized we were wrong. The more we realized we were sinners. The more we realized we couldn't help but at times sin. Because that's the way of the world. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What does that mean? Without the law, Jesus' effect seems less. We wouldn't, we wouldn't know what we're failing to do, what standard we're failing to meet that we, that we need to be redeemed. Um, and so 
because of the law, we recognize sin and grace becomes more valuable. Yeah. I agree with you. It shows the difference between, and I've always said, the, the law is the standard of God. It shows the difference between God and man. And so when you realize the great chasm between us and God, you realize the great need to be redeemed to meet that expectation, to meet that righteousness, to meet that perfection. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's the deal. How far can you go before you can't come back? How far? How far can you go before you can't turn around and come back? Can you be a weak person? Can you be a sinful person? Can you be an enemy of God? Is there any sin that's unforgivable? What is it? Blasphemy. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said, right? What's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I know some of you are looking at me like, Why, where are we going? Just trust me for a second. What's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Jesus has given them all this evidence. And they're looking at Jesus and saying, hey, you're a devil. Yeah. After he's given them all the evidence where God points. And he's saying, man, you just turned off. And when you turned off, you stopped listening to God. And that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I'll, I think that's a great way to describe it. I, I describe it um, a very similar, but in a different way. When they accused Jesus of a crime, what was his crime? It was blasphemy, wasn't it? What, what was the claim? He was the Son of God. And they would say, blasphemy. So what were they saying about Jesus' claim that he was the Son of God? He was a liar. So here's the simple way to me to understand blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's to say that the power of God is a lie. Or, like Mike was bringing up, that the power of, the God, the power of God doesn't come from a righteous God. It comes from the devil. It comes from evil. And if you really get to a point where you believe that the power of God is a lie, it's probably going to be very hard for you to turn around. Why would you? It goes also to that place in Hebrews. And the reason why I'm saying that with the man who falls away, he's experienced the goodness that comes with, the, with life and with God. With God in your life, he's tasted the goodness of it, and he says, you know what? It's not for me, and he walks away. Why does he come back? If that's his honest opinion, after experiencing the goodness of God, why does he come back? Now, <clears throat> hold on, William. The reason why I'm saying that is because I want you to understand that that is how you become lost. That's how you become lost. When you walk away from God, 
when you say, I don't believe in the power of God, when you say, no, the goodness of God is a lie. It's not part of what I want in my life. I would rather live the way of the world. And unfortunately, there are going to be times where people make that decision. But the majority of us, once we've tasted the goodness, that's not going to be our decision. We might struggle. We might have problems we need to deal with. We might even have issues we really need to correct in our lives. But that's how you lose it. Because at the end of the day, super important, your righteousness is not based on your Action, your righteousness is based on your belief in God, which will drive you to become more like God every single day as you pick up your cross and follow him. Which is also why we need to be just like God in long-suffering with each other. Patient with each other. Gracious and merciful with each other as we grow in the Lord, together. All right, I got two. So I'm going to start with Brent because he raised his hand first, William. I'm coming back to you. Don't forget. The Bible says, uh, the, the fool says there is no God. Yeah. And, that's, and that sums it up right there, what you just said. That's right. It's, uh, it's when you say that, that's, that's foolish. That's, right. That's what the Bible calls it. Right, and the Bible also speaks very seriously about just calling anybody a fool. Because it's a very serious thing. God can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the one who's going to find themselves in hell is going to have said that in their heart for sure. When? If you continue to sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, there remains no longer a sacrifice for your sin. You, you have made the cross the blood of Jesus, non and void. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's pretty much saying uh, what you said. Yeah. Uh, is you made, you made up your mind to reject God. Right. And it, I think if we're thinking of the same place in Scripture, I think he's saying it's like you're re-crucifying Christ in Hebrews. So very serious stuff. Okay. Go ahead, Brian. It's worth knowing that, I mean, it's not a permanent state, you know. I mean, I, at the same time, it's also pretty common sin in society. Yeah. I mean. Well, so I think maybe not all of us, some of us might have been raised in Christian homes. We had God put in our hearts at very young ages. But I think for the normal course of the world and people who are raised in worldly homes and stuff like that, they've all at least in some, some way, shape, or form. Like I said, you, you don't have to be out there fighting the war on the front lines against God to be an enemy of God. So I think all of us, to an extent, were there once. The question is, is once you've tasted it, you've experienced it, you understand the love and goodness of God, why would you ever walk away from it? Why would you ever leave it? And we're not talking about temporary struggles. We're not talking about seasons of of suffering or, or, or uh, of even sin. We're talking about where people give up on their hope in Jesus Christ and walk away. Give up on the promise of eternal life and walk away. 
And the reason why I'm so hard on this myself is because I've seen many, many times in our brotherhood and I, I, where we have been really quick at times to judge people who were in a struggle, to judge people who were in a bad season of their life, to judge people who really just need to be surrounded, loved, forgiven, so that they can grow and move on. And I think it's so important. I think it's so, so important. That's why Romans 5 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Because if you can read Romans 5 the way Paul wrote it and have judgment and condemnation, especially for your own brothers and sisters in Christ, especially for them, then you need to go read it again and realize that he's not talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about you and me and everyone. We all need it. We're all relying on Jesus. So, so important. All right. Anybody else got anything else they want to say? Go ahead, Gary. Well, I don't know a lot, but I know this. I uh, received a gift that I can't never repay. I lost the ability to walk. And through my faith in Jesus, he restored that. Amen. And I, like I said, I, I can't ever repay that. He gave me the gift to walk again. And the only thing I can do is come here and study and learn as much as I possibly can to grow my faith. And that's all I can do. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what you I'm just allow God to work in you. And as God is changing your life, that will start to change your surroundings too. I just think if we depend on that promise that he's given us, You'll see it in your life. You'll see it. So, excellent. Anybody else? All right, I wanted to do a quick recap because I feel like we've just went, we've went through five chapters and I wanted to kind of show you a little bit. Sometimes when we um, kind of zoom out, if you will, and then look down at it all, it kind of can make more sense. And I just wanted to give you some um, kind of impactful Scriptures to kind of sum up what each chapter was really about. And, and really, Romans 1 talks a whole lot about, um, he, he has a huge, huge introduction, but he also has a big chunk about the wrath of God and why there is wrath of God. And he really, he talks about two important points. And I want you to see, I want you to see how Paul, so he, he, he kind of always has these things that are in his, in his points that are, mm, they're kind of against each other or they're kind of um, at friction with each other, if you will. Like, for example, in verse 16 of Romans 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why would I be ashamed of the gospel? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. During a time, remember, when people were mocking Christians, where Christians were suffering for being Christian. People were being made fun of just for the belief in Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, a, it is the power of salvation to all mankind who believe. And then verse 25 is my favorite verse in um, Romans 1, when, when, it, when you're getting into the, the, the fall of mankind, if you will, the deceit of the devil. And he says they exchanged the truth for a lie. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but they exchanged the truth for a lie and worship the creation rather than the creator. 
For it is the power of salvation to all mankind who believe in Jesus Christ. Right? Romans 2. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves. Because of your hard and unchanging, unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourselves. And then in verse 15, he's talking about those Gentiles who, they, they're not experts of the law, but they found themselves to be living a righteous life. He says they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. While their conscience also bears witness. It's not just on their hearts, it's on their minds. Their heart and their mind is on Jesus Christ and doing the will of the Father. Again, one last time, not because you can earn it, but because you've tasted the goodness. You've experienced it for yourself and you have to share it with the world. Whether it's through actions, whether it's through your mouth, whether it's whatever, you've experienced it. You're going to be part of the kingdom, of the family. It's written on your heart. It's written on your mind. Romans 3 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by, the, by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because at the end of the day, you're either not ashamed of the gospel or you're following the way of the Lord, of the, of the world, which has exchanged the truth for a lie, right? At the end of the day, you either have a hard and unrepentant heart or you have a heart that has the law written on it, God's word written on their heart and their minds. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Romans 4, my two verses were verse 16 and 18. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. He's talking about Abraham in that moment. Verse 18, in hope he believed against hope. He's talking about Abraham as well here that he should become the father of many nations. And we broke down that hope against hope that Abraham had with the barren wife, with the years of traveling and wandering without a child for this father of many nations. Even when he comes to the end of his life, he said one son. He said one son of promise. And he still believes. He hopes against hope. Even though what he's experiencing in his life, what he's seeing with his eyes, isn't giving him a ton of hope, he believed because God said it. He believed because God said it. And then last but not least, Romans 5. My key takeaways, you can't get around them. They're big chunks. I try to revise them and make them easy. Verses 3 through 5. Remember, it starts with rejoicing because as Christians, this world should never be able to take our joy. The one thing that should make us stand out of, amongst this world is that we are people of joy because we are people of promise. We are people of hope in the good and in the bad. So we rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, knowing that endurance pr produces character. And as we suffer, endure, and, have, and our character is built, we, our, our hope increases as well. And at the end of the day, when Jesus comes through the clouds, our hope's not going to disappoint us. Um, also, verses 6 through 10, because you got to say it while we were weak, sinners and enemies, Christ died for you. That's the moment when he died for you. Not when you were at your best, not when you were praising God and giving glory to God and spreading the good news and all. He died for you at your worst. He died for every single one of us at our worst. Verse 19 as well. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made 
righteous. Our righteousness comes through our faith in Jesus Christ who put it on his back when he hung it on the cross. Is there anybody that wants to say anything before we close? No? All right, then. I'm getting you out two and a half minutes early. (laughs) Times are changing.